begin in the, the book of, of Matthew today, and um, is it me? All right, there we go. Um, the, it, it's an interesting way to start the book. If, you, if you're into reading um, like novels or anything, this kind of seems like a snoozer of a beginning. You know, he sits there and starts talking about the genealogy, and you're kind of like, most of us would probably read through this and mispronounce half the words and the names and just kind of move on and be like, well, that was weird. But um, the, the fact that that we're in the genealogy is, is, is I think, and the fact that it's here is, is, is really important. Um, and it's, it's more important than just trying to find your next baby's name. Although I do think some of you are hipster enough that you might be able to do a minadab for your next son. So I think you could pull it off. Um, but essentially what, what this is, is this is, this is God's way of giving us a direct line of Jesus all the way back to Abraham. And, and we see it differently in, in Luke. The Gospel of Luke gives it all the way back to Adam. But, but the genealogy is incredibly important, and it's in Matthew 1 through 17, and I'm not actually going to read it because I probably mispronounced half the words, but we're going to talk about it for a second. And then I think there's three really, really, really important things that each of us should hopefully leave with. Um, first off is... It talks about the genealogy. It says the Genesis or the, the beginning of Jesus. It's interesting that that started the same way that um, the book of Genesis starts. It's in the beginning. So first is the beginning of creation. And then remember, at this point, the, there, was, there was years of silence. So when, when Matthew's coming together with the first book in the New Testament, I think it's very divine that it starts with the beginning, the Genesis of Jesus Christ, the beginning of him. Now, Jesus was a common name. It was Joshua in the Old Testament. It meant Jehovah or Yahweh saves, is what that meant. But, but Christ now, today, you and I, we, we call him Jesus Christ. But at this time, the word was, was properly an, an adjective, not a noun, meaning anointed or, or translated in the Hebrew as Messiah. So we call him Jesus Christ, but at this time, it would have been Jesus the Christ, meaning the promised name of the Old Testament, Messiah. So, so it is Jesus the Christ. And so we're getting the genealogy that leads up to Jesus the Christ. And that's that's kind of where this was. Now, the Jews kept extensive genealogies. This was, this was very common. And the reason they did this was because they were trying, they used these to establish heritage and, and legitimacy and, if, you know, um, royalty or, um, or rights that you would have. And, and Matthew ends this. He says that this was, there were 14 generations between this period and 14, between this period and 14 to, um, to Jesus. Now, it's, it's also important for you guys to know that there are actually more than those 14. That was just how Matthew wrote this, and it was probably because of memorization. Uh, in the Hebrew time, they, they didn't really have numbers, so they would give number values to letters. So the name David would be just consonants, DVD, or it would have actually maybe been W. I don't know Hebrew well enough, so you'll have to ask someone else that. Um, but, but essentially, they would have had a number. So if D was worth 4, then you would get 4 plus 4 plus 6. If that was what the V was, that would be 14. And the reason for doing this was, again, they didn't just write stuff down and say, hey, remember this phone number. It was all done verbally and auditory. So they had to figure out really easy ways to remember things. And so Matthew is, is doing it in, in sets of 14 off of possibly David's name, the David, since he's trying to line out Jesus is a part of David as king. Um, his lineage. And, and also, there are some names that, that aren't, we, we, there's a few names in here, although there are some that are omitted, there's a few names also that are in here that we don't have any record in the Old Testament of those names. But again, that's not, not a far stretch because we see those names in history, and this would have been something that would have been passed on over and over and over again. And when, when Jesus was coming, and when, when the, the, the Davidic um, law was being coming to fruition, the covenant that was coming to fruition, they were hoping a king would show up and that that king would show up and, and liberate all of Rome's control, or whoever was controlling him at that time, and would institute the kingship again here on earth. 
And so that's what they've been waiting for. And there's been this long line of, of no kings. The kings have been kind of dead at this point and non-existent because of um, different wars and, and the, the rule that was over them. And so, so they, they were hoping Jesus would come and be um, the king that would, that would change everything else. All along, Jesus was that king, but also was doing a whole bunch more like we know today. But, but what Matthew is doing is he's presenting two unconditional covenants um, to establish the Messiahship of Jesus. The, 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 the Davidic covenant, covenant that we see in 2 Samuel 7, which means that he will be of the line of David the king, and the Abrahamic covenant, which would have been out of Genesis 12 and 5, which he would have been a son or a child of Abraham. Now the issue, if you know your, your Old Testament history a little bit, you, the issue is, although we see in verse 6 he says, the father of, and he goes to David, the king. So he institutes, again, says the king to add a little bit more weight to the fact that Jesus is of um, David's line. The issue is, is that if you go back in history in Jeremiah 22, Jeconi was a, a really horrible king. In fact, so bad that he was cursed in Jeremiah that no king would be of his bloodline. Well, that would be an issue if we were trying to tie the bloodline to, to um, David as, the, as Jesus. But the, the interesting thing is, is the end of the genealogy, the end of the genealogy says um, Jacob, the father, or yeah, the father of Joseph, who's the, the dad, the father of, sorry, Jacob, the father of Joseph, messing it all up here. Okay, sorry, Jacob, who was Joseph's father, who was the husband to Mary. So it talks about that Mary is where this comes from, and that's where Luke does the genealogy. Um, the other issue that's in this genealogy that's interesting is that there are women included. Women included in the genealogy was, was very rare in the fact that they did it. And, and honestly, the, the, the rap sheet, the record of these, these women wasn't something very amazing. Um, other, than, other than Mary, the rest of them were, were Gentiles and, and had some pretty colored backgrounds. And so there's all this stuff that's going on. And, and why, why even have this genealogy? And most of us, again, like I said, we read this and kind of skip through the names. And maybe you know some of the stories and you're excited about it. And you kind of just rip through it. But but the, I think there's a lot more to this, this genealogy. There's a lot more to, to what we can get out of here. And that's, um, there's, there's three things I think we can take. And so the first one is, is that God is, is relentless about keeping his promises. And he's relentless about keeping his promises. See, from a wandering Jew in Babylon, through slavery in Egypt, through wandering in the desert, through warfare, through kingdoms rising and falling, through empires waxing and waning, through rebellion, through apostasy, through godlessness, through it all, God kept the line from Abraham to Jesus intact. So if that says nothing else to you guys, that says nothing else. Abraham to Jesus was unbroken so that Jesus could be born a king, a rightful king to be a savior for all. If nothing else, then that just needs to tell you guys right there that God is relentless about keeping his promises. See, I think most of us, if, if we'd kind of gone through trying to make something happen many years down the road, we probably would have thrown in the towel a lot sooner, but God didn't. No, he, he, he took, he, he kept it going through all circumstances, through all the messed up, things that people did to give us an unbroken line from Abraham to Jesus. See, no matter how unfaithful Israelites were, no matter how hopeless things got, God kept it intact. So why would he do that? He did that because he loves. See, because God loves us. He kept this intact because he knew that there was one way to make things right, to redeem what was under pressure and what was in, in rule by Satan was a king, a rightful savior. And so he kept it intact, intact. He sent his son to save murderers, cheats, liars, prostitutes, pagans, and swindlers. You know, like people like you and me. He sent his son to save us, and so he uses all of those people in his genealogy. 
all the while, those are the very people that he's come to save. See, the incredible thing is that God, in his infinite inscrutability, loves us. He loves us enough to work through all these fallen people to bring his son to the earth to keep his promise, to save us and redeem us from the rule of Satan. So if you hear nothing else today, maybe what you need to hear is that God keeps his promises. Some of you right now, you, you just, you don't believe that. You're wrestling with that. You felt like maybe he had said something, he'd spoken to you something. You really thought you were doing it the right way. You, 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 you thought you, you were open-handed about it, but you just kind of see everything falling around you. Maybe you just need to hear that God is relentless about keeping his promises. God is unchangeable. He's in control. He's sovereign. Which brings me to the second point from this text. And that is God is crazy relentless when it comes to extending grace. When it comes to extending grace, God is crazy relentless. If you think about the names that he uses in this genealogy, this, these people, that Tamar pretended to be a prostitute so she could sleep with her dad, her in-law, so that she could have a rightful heir, and Jesus' bloodline comes through that. That is messed up. Right? That is messed up, but that is the line that he comes from, and God is crazy relentless when it comes to grace. See, when you read the names of Jesus' ancestry, you, can't, you see a cross-section of humanity, both in all its glory and all its shame at the same time. Some did great heroic things, some did despicable things, and some did both. But see, we're all like those people in Jesus' family tree. We're men, women, Gentiles, slaves, broken, messed up people. What, what this line tells us is that God is about bringing immense grace to people that are so undeserving of it. He's relentless about it. So not only is God relentless about keeping his promises, he's, he's, he's unchangeable, he's founded on that, but he's the same, he sent, puts the same fervor in place to chase us down in grace. Every, every single story, I mean, even David, who was a man after God's heart, cheated on his wife, uh, killed, the, killed the husband of the wife he cheated with, he's still called that. God's grace is ridiculous. It makes no sense. Maybe today that's all you need to hear is that God's grace is sufficient for you, that you're not out of his reach. Maybe for some of you, it's time to stop treating grace as some currency to be bartered with with God. Oh God, if you'll just do this, I will X. And it's time to release all that and recognize that he lavishes. He gives you more than enough grace for your circumstances. You lay yourself out in front of all those genealogy people, all those people in there going down the list, and you go, man, I haven't done that, I haven't done that. Man, you start feeling pretty good about yourself. Wow, these guys are horrible. But the, the, the same thing is needed of them that's needed of us, and that's his grace. We need it. We need his grace, and he's relentless at making sure it happens. Who and what we are does not depend on us, but on who and what God is and does for us. This is strictly the grace of God in action. Jesus is the true king of grace. His genealogy points to all of God's grace and mercy poured out on all names. If God can call sinners, listen to this, hear this. If he can call sinners and use sinners to be the forefathers of Christ, then why wouldn't he call sinners to be his descendants as well? Some of you, like I said, maybe this is all you need to hear today, that his grace reaches you, that you are not out of his grasp. You may have really messed up, you may have done it over and over and over again, but his grace is not out of reach for you. I mean, that's all you need to hear today. You are a child of his in Christ, in and through the work of Jesus Christ. You're his. 
You're named righteous. You're not your mess ups. You're not your past. In Christ, you're named righteous. The third thing I think we can take from this text is that it's not about you or me. See, if you look at the, if you think about all these characters that he's talking about and all these stories from Abraham all the way back and all these different things, each of their stories, they are not first person in it. It's not about them. Now, this would have been a very radical thing to hear for the Jews at this point, that it's not about David or Abraham. It's about Jesus, the Christ. But I think the, the practicality of it, if you look at verse 1, it says that the book of genealogy of who? Of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 17, it ends to the Christ. So the whole point of this genealogy, the whole point of this book is Jesus. Not you, not me, not Abraham. Every story, look at Abraham and his story and sacrificing Isaac on the, on the altar, his only son, needing someone or something to be sacrificed in place of Isaac. That's us. That's pointing to the need we have of Jesus Christ. Look at Rahab, who is, who is only a prostitute, had really no hope, but she, she took, she listened to God and took in people that were going to destroy all of her people. And God's grace is, is sufficient for her to re rename her and allow her a place in his people. That's Jesus Christ. We need him. Just like the people running from, from the enemy needed someone to save them, Jesus is the one that's saving us. Every story of this thing, every single person in this genealogy is not about them. It's a, it's a story that points to the Christ. Every single character in here points to him. Now here's the problem with you and I is that when we come to this genealogy, even though we read that the very point goes right into the, and Jesus Christ was born, you and I live our lives, excuse me, as entitled punks. We live our life saying that this Bible is about me and making me feel good and what I deserve and what my rights are and what I'm going to make known for my name. And we keep going, I, 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 and we're not even the first person in the story. In fact, our story apart, apart from Christ is, is, is filthy rags. Our story apart from Christ is, is we are, our story is changed. Like we said last week, it's not altered. Our story is changed because of what Jesus has done. And we think that we can put him in the back seat and bring him along for the ride and say, okay, when I need you, I'll, I'll, I'll bug you, God. But this isn't about us. In fact, this isn't about the lost that need to be saved. This isn't about the justice that we need to bring. This isn't about the poor that are hungry. This isn't about any of that stuff. All of that is good and in Christ, and it is the point with Christ in place, but it's about him, him making all things new. We're not building his church. He's building it has nothing to do with me or you or anyone else. We are just but pawns, and our story points to the Christ who deserves all glory. Now, that may not sit well with you. Maybe you wrestle with that, and that's like Josh said in, the, in, in, in worship. <laughs> Maybe your issue is you love Christ as a Savior, but you just cannot handle him as your Lord. That's not the Christ. That's some made-up version of Jesus that we've depicted in our heads the Christ is Lord and Savior. The Christ is, it's all about him. It's not about me. Now, here's the thing. The lost being found is, is, is what we're called. We're called to go and make disciples. But you know how he begins that? He begins that go and make disciples with all authority is mine in heaven and on earth. Okay, so Jesus tells us to go and make disciples after he's already told us that all authority is his. And then he ends that comment with, and I will be with you. So who's doing it? It's him. It's him working through us. It's about him and bringing glory to him, 
not about me or you or any other thing that we do. This is about him. And this would have been a, a, a ferocious thing for them to hear at that time to say, wait, 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 why are we talking about Jesus' genealogy? Should we go back to who Abraham is? The King David, like what's going on here? He's, he's, he's the bomb. Look at all the stuff he did. And, and God tells us in this, and we see it in Matthew, we see it everywhere else in this, every single story, every single thing is pointing to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's, he's the punchline. He's what it's all about. There's no other, oops, I forgot, or maybe there's another version of this. It's, that's it. It's him. And so yours and my role is not to make a name for ourselves or a name for some existence of an extension church, but, but to make much of his name. So our life isn't even our story. Our life is our story changed by him, and therefore we live for him with his strength in us. We get so fixated on verses about how he, you know, we can do all things through Christ. And yes, we can. That's great. It's awesome. But it's not about us. It's not about us. If you, if you would just sit in this for a moment, you would see all of the selfish decisions that we, I make, you make, all the time because we misconstrue the fact that this, this Bible is about us. Now, don't, don't forget me. He says he loves us. God loves us. He sent Jesus to, to die for us. There's a bunch of verses about how we are to live. It's incredibly pragmatic throughout here. But the point, like I said last week, the point isn't what we do or don't do. The point is what we make of Christ. The point is what we do with our life for his name and not ours. Yeah, I know sometimes we want to pat on the back, hey, good job. But if we really understood that, that our life, our circumstances, our living, every single situation we're in, whether we're a dad, a husband, whether we want to be married or not, we're in school, at work, every situation is an opportunity to point to his glory. Then we'd be a lot less concerned about the pat on the back and we'd be more excited about hearing, well done, good and faithful servant from our Lord and Savior, not just our Savior. See, it's interesting, this genealogy points to Jesus being the king. There was no misunderstanding what the king meant back then. When, when Matthew's penning this and he was saying Jesus is the king, everyone knew what the king meant. That meant you bowed down. That meant you, yes, yes, Lord, whatever you want from me. And I think because we're entitled and we want to feel good, we make the gospel about us needing to be saved, which is very true. But we forget the fact that what we're saved for isn't anything of ourselves, and it's for him. We're not saved so we can feel good. We're saved so that we can make much of Christ. So maybe today you need to hear it's not about you. Stop making it about you. I know this, look, this may push right against you. You want to know how I know it pushes right against you? We got a baptism coming next week, and I'm jacked for it. I'm excited for it. Baptism, again, is the first litmus test, I believe, to Jesus, you're who you are. But we've had people say, I, I just don't know if I want to get baptized, baptized because I get nervous in front of people. That makes baptism about you. I don't know if I want to get baptized because I just don't know if I'm good enough. Well, clue in. You never were and you never will be, right? Like, I mean, we make, we make the very things that he has designed as beautiful about us and we ruin them. We ruin them. This is about Jesus. And if you don't, like that, then go back to start and collect your 200, don't collect your $200 and figure it out again. Who is Jesus? Look, 
maybe some of you just need to be reminded today that, that he's relentless at showing grace. You hear this and you're like, man, I've made this all about me. I've made this all about me. I've made this all about me. And you forget what we just talked about. He's relentless at showing grace. In fact, he can redeem any story. He can redeem any story. None of you are too far gone. It's interesting in the genealogy, you look at it and you see these lives of these people, of the ones we know. And some of them are, are really horrible people that are, are changed and become good, but then they have a son and that son is a really horrible person and it ends horrible. And then that son has, they have a son and that son actually is really good, but ends good. And you realize that as you look through the genealogy that it doesn't really matter who went before you or who went after you. It's what you do with, with who you are in Christ. So yeah, okay, so maybe you have a really bad past and you lay it out and it's like ugly, ugly, ugly. Christ wipes that clean. Maybe you think the other side, I've been so good, I've been so good. Well, good news, Christ wipes out religiosity and brings it to a relationship. See, there's a lot of things we can learn from the genealogy before we get into the most glorious thing, which is next week, Jesus being born. Right? It's, it's that God is relentless at keeping his promise. So when he promises in his word that you were fearfully and wonderfully made, don't doubt that. When he promises and tells you that he knows you better than anyone else, stop pretending like he doesn't. God keeps his promises. He's relentless about it. In fact, he'll go to great extremes to keep those promises in place. You're not out of reach of his grace. No situation is too far. I love, I love that, that we, we swing the pendulum when it comes to grace. It's that, it's the, it's the, okay, either I'm, I'm too sinful and he'll never forgive me or because he always forgives me, I can just keep going on sinning. I hope, I hope that you under when Christ is, is, understand when Christ is Lord, neither of those extremes are right. When Christ is Lord, it's not I can go on sinning because I'm forgiven. It's I can go on living because he's forgiven. And it's not I'm never gonna be forgiven because I'm so horrible. It's, 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 that's exactly what he's done is forgiven me because of all of what I've done. Not because of who I am, not because of what I may do for him, he didn't save me so that I could be some awesome person for him. He's like, yes, I finally got bread in the kingdom. No. He did it so he could make much of his son, Jesus Christ. He did it so he could make much of Jesus Christ. So I hope as we, as we look at the genealogy, we're going we're gonna to worship a little more. The band's going to come up. I hope, I hope, I hope, if nothing else, you guys are encouraged by the fact that, that God is relentless about keeping his promises. He will go to no no extreme, there's no extreme too far for him to keep his promises. And maybe, again, maybe the, what you need to hear today is that he is, he is ferocious when it comes to his grace. I mean, just ferocious. Think of these, these people, these stories, the ones that he chose to use as the forefathers of his name. These are the people he uses to bring Jesus Christ. Well, of course he's going to bring, use us as descendants. And maybe the last thing, like I said, maybe this is the big one for you. It was for me, is that it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not what I'm making in my name. We have a sovereign God who accomplishes all of his purposes. He keeps his promises. He's relentless with grace. And all of it leads to the Lord Jesus, not us. But here's the best part. And this is what we'll see as we work through Matthew. Here's the best part. And I love this. Well, it's not really the best part. That's the best part. But here's a really cool part, okay? He invites us to be a part of it. He invites us messed up, a sick, gross, like pathetic excuses at time of followers. He invites us to be a part of it because his spirit lives inside of us. He says, you know what? You got me. Don't worry about you. You got me. 
So as we sing, I hope that when you sing today, I hope when you worship, it isn't some words that just come out of your mouth. It's some words that are reminded of the fact that he keeps his promises, that his grace is not, you're not out of his reach, and that he is about making much of his name and not ours. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word, for your faithfulness. Oh, to see your faithfulness woven through the Old Testament, woven the history, the fact that you never, never lost track of it, God. The fact that you knew what you were doing from the beginning, you knew what we needed, that you freed us from the, from, from the bondage of Satan and the clutches of sin, and you brought us a redeemer in Christ. God, that you have, you've kept your promises this long is amazing. God, may we be people that truly live following a God, surrendering to a God that keeps his promises. Would we never believe the lie that you fall short of those? God, for those of us in the room that are just, maybe today would call ourselves just mess ups. It's just a mess and, and disgusting. And, and maybe we even disgust ourselves. God, would you remind us that in Christ, you are not disgusted by us. In fact, you love us. That you don't see our brokenness, our messed upness. You don't see our, 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 our skeletons in our closet. You see us as righteous through Jesus Christ. God, will we be reminded that that, that righteousness is, is the reason why we live for you, God? We don't live for you because we feel like we have to. We don't live for you because that's just what you do. We live for you because you are you, God, because you are our Savior. You are our Lord. You are Jesus, the Christ. Shame on us for forgetting that, God. Would we not be a people for forget that? Will we open up the word this week and be reading the story in a new way? Would we be reading what you spoke into us? Would our spirit get ignited by the fact that everything in here points to your son, Jesus Christ? God, may our lives bring much glory for you and you alone. God, when we pass and we, we, we meet you again, would you say, well done, good and faithful servant? Would our story to our generations behind us go on? I can't remember his name, but man, I can tell you who he was about. This guy, Jesus Christ. God, may we, may we leave that imprint on people. God, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus, the Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.